Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 157. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at the Journeyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, uh, what are we talking about this week? I am totally blanking. This is part two of our interview with Josh Duffney, the return interview. Oh, we had a two-parter. Yeah. The second two-parter with Josh Duffney. So if you missed part one, we talked a little bit about how Josh was drowning in, inf- in information, and he adopted the Smart Notes methodology to help with that, how he learned to keep only things that were relevant, how he implemented intentional reading during his days and actually reads books at a very fast rate. And he wrote a book on something called How to Take Smart Notes in Obsidian. This week's a little bit different. This week, we're going to talk about how Josh uses smart notes when he writes, the impact of the smart notes methodology on the, on the book he's writing right now, which is called Reclaim. We're going to check in on life at Microsoft and see what he's up to. And then we'll talk about how he found the time to do all these extracurricular activities in addition to his day job. Awesome. Thanks for the reminder. Hey, uh, for the listeners out there, congratulations on making it to part two of this uh, two-parter. We've got a treat for you, uh, which is a giveaway of a couple copies of Josh's book, How to Take Smart Notes with Obsidian. So listen to the end of the episode for details on how to win it. I'm also really interested to hear other people's opinions on Josh's uh, social media pullback, especially in our current context, which is the second year of the coronavirus pandemic. Would that work for you? Is that giving up too much community? Uh, do you have uh, you know real friends that you only keep in touch with uh, via social media? And um, I am also looking forward to that point in time when I can actually read reclaim i'm i'm really excited about his treatment of the subject and are you going to record yourself reading it so that i can consume it in audio form like we talked about john i mean the good news for you nick is that i'm going to record it at 1.5x speed so you won't have an option (laughs) except to listen to it at 1.5x wow okay i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to work on it maybe i can slow it down to like 0.8 0.5 we'll see oh Wow. Okay. Now you're just. I can only go so fast. I will say this idea of the time inventory continues to come back with different guests that we talk about, and honestly, I hate that, but I get the reason behind it. So listen, dear listener, for suggestions on tools to help inventory your time, and see if you can use it better. Awesome. Yeah. The. the people who need that, you know, are the people that are so scheduled that they need it. Yep. <laughs> and probably the people who can't stand it the most, right, or fight it the most, really actually need it the most. Right, Looking at myself right. in the mirror. 
<laughs> well, without further delay, let's get into part two of our discussion with Josh Duffney, episode number 157. Let's go. So that is also something that you said, the challenge of the blank page. I think maybe you, you touched on it, but how does having this like, you know, note taking system and thinking system like overcome that blank page challenge? It's like a hardcore version of an outline. So uh, what I with the smart notes in particular, um, I have the vault. It's just on a GitHub repository. So you can see exactly the notes that I took to write the book that I did. But what I did, I had a project note. And I started to link in all the notes that I thought were relevant and I would start to build up that. And what I would do is I would build a workspace in Obsidian that would open up all the notes. And what I would do is I would read all the notes and I would review them. And then I'd switch to a different desktop and I'd start to write. So it allowed me to load in all those notes that I'd taken so that because they're meant to be, you know, permanently understood, right? So I could reload them into my working memory and then I could go and write instead of having to like trying to recall uh, and do a heavy outline and find my gaps that way. So that's how I do it is I have them all open, whatever paragraph section I'm working on, I have those all, notes all open obsidian so I can read and skim and organize. And I use them as my outline. And then I go and Ulysses is my writing tool or VS code for technical writing. And I just start to write. Okay. Now I'm starting to understand. Um, maybe that just triggered a memory from uh, how to write smart notes where the author like, makes this argument is like, wouldn't it be easier if you were writing an article to have these pre-digested, already written, like almost publishing ready, like chunks of information that you just had to kind of connect and like maybe make like a thesis statement, some supporting ideas, and then each of the supporting ideas was already written, maybe not in a way that like flowed together, but like just again, already written. And then wouldn't it be easier to write those like kind of chunks if, you know, create that pre-digested outline, if you already had like the titles of the chunks and then, you know, just to kind of plug in. So really the hard part is the writing the notes and ingesting everything into your system. And then afterwards coming up with an article to write based on what you've already written. It makes writing easier, but not easy. I'll, I'll say that being on the other side of it, because one misstep that I did make was taking that literal. So meaning that you really just needed to type a few words in between your notes. Uh, and so what I found is more useful is loading them all up in some notes that you will reuse and you'll copy and paste verbatim in your writing. But a lot of times what you need is just those ideas to be strung together. And then you can write a more coherent argument instead of, um, kind of block pasting in and trying to trying to put in those transitions. Um, but it is nice to have it all there so you can load the whole argument into your mind and then dump it onto the page. Regarding the fear of the blank page from a different aspect, I, I think back to George Lucas sitting in his apartment staring at a blank page trying to write the script for Star Wars within his deadline. How does that if you're if you're sitting there staring at a blank text editor and you can't write anything, but you want to write this book, that kind of gnaws away at you deep inside, doesn't it? Like, maybe I shouldn't do this, or maybe I'm out of ideas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the imposter syndrome is, it is it still gets me, but it was definitely very fierce in the beginning. Um, absolutely. 
but it sounds like the the note system or knowledge management system you have helps prevent that from happening if at all yeah i have the reverse problem right now where i have like too many ideas so, so many that i can't execute and so many that they're probably not worth pursuing you know and not all those are great ideas but there's so much in there now where i'm like I, this could be an article this could be a blog post this could be a youtube video like i don't have the bandwidth to keep up with those so the blank page has definitely gone away completely now when i go to write like i know what i want to write going and writing it still it takes hard work but I, I have endless titles and ideas that's for sure so now your issue is editing and maybe reconstructing like some of what you've already written so the issue is more rewriting than writing the rough draft is still a little bit of a hiccup and just getting started. So I'm finding that it does help to have like an introductory, like intro note and a conclusion. So knowing where it's starting and ending, because that's not apparently clear sometimes in how you have notes structured. So you, you can start to build the argument in the discussion, but ultimately you have to frame whatever that is you get with an end and a start. And so I found that it's useful to create, okay, these all kind of jive together. So now I'm going to add a little statement at the end that, you know, like this is a conclusion that I'm coming to, and then I know where to start and then I can write. And so that's definitely helped. And then the rough draft, just letting the words flow um, and, and not editing. So I still have a problem where I try to edit myself as I'm writing and correcting and making sure that the argument flows and I'm using the right sentence length and stuff. And so I'm trying to remove that from the rough draft phase. So that's a personal issue for me in my writing. But then, yes, the rewriting is, is uh, where a lot of the, the friction currently is. And I was going to say earlier when you said you have so many ideas, you, you're never going to run out. It's like he read our ideal list for the podcast, John. Yeah. I mean, it's the same type of thing. Right? You know, you just keep on tripping over these things. I'm, I'm wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit how this process, now that you've gone through it, has helped you with the book that you're working on, Reclaim. It has helped me to realize the 175 pages that I've already written are very incoherent. <laughs> um, so th that's a good part. No, but it's also giving me a way. So th in the, the craft of research that I mentioned earlier, he has this little like uh, tip. I think it's just a little box as it's tip. And it says uh, anxiety for early or unexperienced researchers is most often caused by your ability to take notes faster than you can sort them. And that's what I've been feeling for like the past three months is just this like weird anxiety. And I'm like, it's not technology. I've cut that out. You know, like I've gone through this before and it was that. And so this methodology is helping me to organize this vast amount of information and reduce that anxiety. So that way I can have, I know where this information is. And when I go to write, when the time is right, I will be able to recall it in a way. So that was a lot of the anxiety in the beginning was I was researching and writing and researching and writing and I wasn't sorting properly. And the system is giving me a way to sort in a way that one, reduces the anxiety and two, keeps the structure there. So that way I can complete my research and then write what I want and not have to do both because I have a full-time job and a family. And so I just don't have the time to be able to do both of those things concurrently or, you know, at the same time. Uh, and so I've separated my research from my writing. Um, and I think it'll go in a little bit smoother iterative cycles. But for right now, I'm like in a, one full month of research and then I'll probably dedicate a couple of weeks to writing to get kind of caught up with the notes that I've taken. But yes, it, that is the, the biggest benefit it's given me is just a way to sort the knowledge that I've accumulated. So that way I can turn around and write it. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for reducing anxiety wherever possible. So I love the fact that the structure is helping you to reduce it. And I totally see the the on-off with the research and then the compiling the notes together so that you can pick up the writing again. When you write books like this, I've never written a book, Do you? is it better to give yourself a, a deadline to shoot for so that you'll actually do it? Or do you just, as long as you're as, di- I mean, not everyone's as disciplined as Josh Duffney. Let's just say that. <laughs> You know what I mean? Um, the deadline. So I've, I've set myself many deadlines and um, they've caused more harm than good for me. But I think that's more or less because this is just something. Uh, what is it? Ryan Holiday, he gives this little memory of this little girl that came up to him at a book signing and she wanted to be a writer. And he, you know, paraphrased a different writer and said, you could only be a writer if you can't not be a writer um, because of how stressful and difficult it can be. For me, the deadlines have stopped becoming useful because it's just something that I have to do and it's a problem that I'm not going to be able to let go. Uh, and so the the deadlines create an urgency that is unnecessary uh, because when I'm learning through it, but it did help me get started. So I won't say that they're completely, you know, unnecessary, you know, having that, I, I wrote my first technical book in six months and I was like, I'll just, you know, um, Star Trek, Star Trek it and do two X, you know, we'll just shoot it over a little bit. That yeah. didn't work. So I'm a year year into it now. This month is a year since I said that I was going to start writing this book. Um, and I've gotten 175 pages and I'm like one chapter away from the rough draft. But I'll probably be starting over in a good capacity with the rough draft. I'll borrow a lot what I use, but I think I'll probably do that just to make it a lot more coherent because there are just so many, so many things that I could do better in the book. Maybe I should have started my understanding, and maybe you can correct me on this, is it it's it feels a little bit more comprehensive than just like an implementation guide on deep work because that might be like another 22 page book but you are doing a 175 page book so what what's different about this one versus the 22 page book yeah uh, just the sheer amount of information i'm trying to put into it mm-hmm. part 1 is more about kind of bringing awareness to the ways that technology has, uh, you know, invaded our lives, so to speak, and, and the repercussions of that. Uh, part two is um, taking back the linear mind. So that's, you know, you know, reading and establishing habits like that. And then part three is um, like, how do you, how do you work in the depths while not being a complete monistic person where you could just escape from the internet? Uh, and so those, just that, uh, the amount of research that I'm finding to go into that has been immense. So it's just really the scope. The scope is huge compared um, to the implementation guide. Would you say that it spans some of the philosophy of deep work and then some of the philosophy of digital minimalism? Yes. Yeah. It tries to blend them uh, together. And that's probably been, I've struggled with this more, more or less the entire time, which is how, what is too much, right? Mm -hmm. Like, should this all just be, should these be different books? Could this all fit in one book? And those are all things that I'm learning as I'm going, uh, writing this for the first time. You know, and this is a, something that I keep probably shot myself in the foot announcing that I was going to write it and talking about it so much because like Ryan Holiday, he says, you know, like when you start a creative project, a lot of people too, it's like, tell no, tell no one, you know, like just kind of finish it behind the scenes. But I think it's been fun. Uh, I've enjoyed sharing uh, the struggle and the failures and the triumphs with it. You mentioned uh, before that you have pushed out, you know, the notes that are, that you wrote about 
how to write smart notes in Obsidian onto GitHub. And then I saw that, you know, again, for Reclaim, you have a lot of stuff that is also pushed out to GitHub. Is that like on purpose? Is it like kind of a philosophy of kind of exposing that process that you have? Or is it uh, something else? Yeah, it's transparency, building and, and public. That's the the main reason. So I'm hoping people, you know, find it valuable and interesting. Uh, and that's why I'm sharing it. Just writing and putting it out there. One, it holds me accountable. Uh, and two, it hopefully it, it adds value in some capacity. And do you create like a separate vault in Obsidian for each one of these projects? So for a long time, I had them intertwined. So the smart notes, it's, it's you know, like your all-encompassing knowledge base. But I found that the book is... It's got so much to it, and I'm still learning the methodology that it made sense. And this is really recent, as of like two weeks ago, where I've moved all the notes for Reclaim out into its own vault. And then kind of everything else, like my general buckets of knowledge management, are in in one other vault. So like notes on writing or, or Golang or just different aspects of Azure and stuff like that. Those are in what I call a general vault. And then I have a project-based vault now for Reclaim. Um, that is all just for that particular project. Um, cause I wanted to be able to open up a vault and just, this is just everything that's reclaimed and then to be able to shut it when I go to work. Um, so it's more of a separation than anything for me, but I do have two vaults now. Nice. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, I like the idea of separation and I want to say everybody, if you listen to our, uh, seven part deep work series, by the way, the mastermind behind that was John White, and he actually used the Smart Notes methodology to help us lay out those episodes. So kudos to you, John. It it seemed to work really well because we got a lot of, you know, our part seven of two was excellent, I thought. Yeah. So, Josh, just for background, we we read Deep Work after you recommended it, and it just blew our, at least it blew my mind so much. I was like, oh, I have to reorganize my entire like job around this idea and philosophy, right? <laughs> That's what I'm And then doing. I was also I had also just like come across the idea of smart notes and Zettelcast. And so, you know, I did some literature notes and some permanent notes around the book and those kind of turned into the outlines for the um the episodes. Um so, you know, the process that you laid out, like, you know, was very, very familiar to me. <laughs> you know, it was like some of these things, like for example, like Oh, hey, you know, the author like made this like extremely concise, like outline of what this idea is. And I am not going to be able to restate it in my own words better than that. So that's just going to be a quote box. Right. And then but, you know, I also have to digest some of this other stuff. And then it's also very, very possible to wax too long about something in a note and you learn not to do that. <laughs> All part of the process. Yeah, it was, you know, we thought it was going to be, you know, two episodes and it was seven. So, <laughs> well, I thought I was going to make a, you know, a couple hundred word update to my blog post and it turned into several thousand more words. So I know the feeling. <laughs> See what thoughts will do. That's what my grandmother would say. I want to follow up on some some things you talked about in episode 124, Josh, just to see how things are going. I remember you saying something about you were experimenting with doing a write-only access to social media during the week, but responding to things and reading on Fridays. How, how is that going? Are you still doing it? Have you changed things up? What's the status there? 
it's constantly in flux, my social media use. Uh, but it worked really well. It got me away from the tools and broke kind of the behavior addiction of the control T, TW, enter, you know, just the muscle memory. So it broke that habit, which is great. I ultimately didn't stick. What I do now is I have about 1230 is my check-in period. So that's when I check my work email and that's when I check uh, personal email uh, and then I go on social media and I, I just check and respond uh, in that way. So usually about every day I have about a half an hour block of shallow work that's just check-in. The one week, uh, one time a week made me a, too, a, little, a little too disconnected and I'm actually trying to re- like recover from that because I feel it was a little too isolating, I would say, um, just because a lot of my interactions online and stuff like that. So it's moved to about once a day in a bucket, but it was a really good reset. So if you're not willing to just ban yourself for a month, like I've done in the past, uh, the responding on Fridays is a good way to just kind of get a good reset. It's interesting because, you know, it's very easy to shed your like online community when you have like an in-person community, you know, that you deal with on a regular basis. And then all of a sudden a pandemic comes along and you're not allowed to interact with people in person and you only have online communities or zoom calls or, you know, whatever tool you're using and then throwing away an online community is a lot harder. Well, it's also fascinating how much we have projected our relationships onto social media and technology. So I have a really fascinating story of, of Twitter. I don't know if I shared this with you, Nick, last time. So like a year, almost, yeah, a year, two years ago, actually, I did this little, I was like, I see all these influential people on Twitter. They don't have any, they don't follow anybody. Like, what does that look like? And so I announced that I was going to, um, you know, unfollow everybody on Twitter. And I was like, I'm just going to see what this is. I, I'm not, you know, not unfriending you in any way. I'm just moving. I moved everybody to a list so I could find who I was following and stuff like that. That ended up getting me <laughs> kicked out of an online community and uh, a bunch of people that I like really respected unfollowed me. You know, like, I don't know if there's any kind of disagreement or anything like that, but it had massive repercussions uh, because of so much. And now I understand on the other side, like I've had a couple of people on follow me and it doesn't it doesn't feel good because it does feel like it's a friendship that uh, that follow button, that status. And so it's just really fascinating how much we do project of our real relationships on these platforms uh, and so like, that's one thing that I keep tinkering with and trying to find, cause it was easy to disconnect and people respected that. But then when you're gone away for an extended period of time, it's almost like you've thrown away that relationship in their eyes uh, and vice versa. And so I'm trying to figure out what's that balance where you can have not constant interaction, but just enough where you can keep those relationships. And I think Dunmar's number is going to fall in, into place here somewhere where there's just so many relationships that you can maintain. You can't maintain thousands without constant involvement in the platform. Uh, and that just might be a limitation that you have to accept in, in the online and in, in real world, in the real world. But uh, it is really interesting how much of the psychology transfers from online to in-person and how much emphasis we do put on those just little yeah. buttons and status icons. This makes me think back to episode 149 with Chris Wall about how he said, I can't possibly be good friends with 10,000 people or this many followers. And, and he actually had to peel back a lot of that usage because it was stealing from his joy. And much like yourself in times past, it was stealing his time. From your perspective, have you been able to keep the the tweeting in the 30-minute time block after you know being addicted and then detoxing? So you went to rehab and then... <laughs> digital rehab and yep. then you you come back and, and let yourself do a little bit has it been enough to keep you from getting addicted 
Uh, yeah, and I think the main reason is because I don't I don't have the app on my phone. Uh, so I did put it temporarily back on my smartphone my that I keep around. I usually just play Spotify on it. Um, and I did put it on there for a while and that I was started to, you know, control TW and then freedom would come on my screen and be like, sorry, you told me you wanted me to block this. Uh, so that did start to seep back in, but it has been enough with the 30 minutes, uh, replying, you know, I don't get the number of, you know, impressions that I used to, that's for sure. I don't get in the, you know, hundreds of thousands of impressions anymore and stuff like that. And likes. when you're gone for a while too, uh, the algorithm will actually docks you essentially so like now when i tweet it just doesn't have the the same amount of effects so i'm trying to shift my usage of the platforms to um, maintaining and building relationships versus you know trying to be an influencer of some kind and letting seo and my work and word of mouth be the marketing versus trying to use the the platform for attention so that my usage has changed but it does it has had some you know repercussions as far as the vanity metrics of the platform and if you follow Josh on Twitter, you'll see that his posts are helpful. I mean, they're they're just helpful. He's not out there screaming for attention. He likes to provide helpful content, so it's I enjoy it. I Thanks, enjoy Nick. seeing the tweets. A really good follow. I agree. Thank you. Well, one of the things you had been doing in addition to some time on on Twitter now and then is you had created a newsletter, the Knowledge Worker, right? How are things going with that? And have you have you decided to iterate yet again, or do you feel good about it? Uh, so I I was doing a weekly newsletter for a number of months, and I almost reached uh, about a thousand subscribers. So if you're subscribed, thank you. Uh, and then I t- decided after the smart notes, I had this brilliant idea. You guys are just making reveal all my scheduled posts, which is great. So I had this great idea. Um, you know, after the smart notes book, I was like, oh, I just this was easy. I'll just write books. You know, because I wrote that book in about a week or two. Um, but what I failed to notice was the seven months of research that went into to doing that. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll just, I'll just write short eBooks while I write reclaim. And then I'll just record YouTube videos. And cause that was getting some traction and stuff like that. That was a horrible idea. Just writing books, just, just writing books. It's very painful. <laughs> so that, that'll probably stop. I will bring, um, I've got a post queued up where I'm bringing back the newsletter in some form. Uh, it won't be weekly. It'll be kind of ad hoc, but a lot of it's going to be what I've already written from Reclaim and I'm going to share them and modify them as online articles. Uh, and so that'll be a lot of the content that'll, that'll be queued up there as well as just, uh, sharing my work. So that was another great read, um, that I had just recently picked up. And so a lot of that will be sharing my research as I go along as well. So the newsletter will pick back up in some frequency, more long form than the the short weekly. But I, I don't know, I missed it. I missed the writing, the short form and that engagement uh, on that platform. So it'll be coming back. Yeah, I, I subscribed. I thought it was pretty good, personally. It was like, uh, I think it came in on Saturday mornings or something like yep, that. Yep, Saturday at 9.05. <laughs> yeah. One of, the, <laughs> one of the other things you've been doing is you're writing, you're doing your full-time job, you've done some of the newsletter, you're going to bring it back, but you've also been speaking at conferences too. So just give everybody a quick blurb on how you find the time to do all those things. By doing little of anything else. <laughs> that's that's the short answer. So, you know, like my social media is limited to 30 minutes a day. That's during the work weeks. I don't, you know, I mean, right there, not having a smartphone, I took back three and a half hours of my life. I'm not exaggerating. I tracked that. I literally stared at that little screen for three and a half to four hours before I 
a couple of years ago started the digital minimalism thing. So that was a huge time boon. Uh, and then during the day, uh, it's just being really, really intentional. So I practice time blocking. And so I block out every, every hour has a dedicated spot. A lot of my deep work sessions span multiple hours. Uh, and so it's really just being super intentional with the things that matter most. Uh, and that's how I find the time I, I make it, uh, for what I want to do. How are you tracking your time? Like you mentioned, like that you tracked your time for, uh, how long you're using your smartphone. I, I'm just curious. So I used before, they just like the company vanished. So I used moment, uh, dot two, it was an app, but like the CEO just like disappeared off LinkedIn and the company pulled the app and stuff like that. It's, it was really weird. I don't know what happened with that. They were featured in the social dilemma. Um, but I used that back in the day, but now there's screen time and there's, I think it's well being on Android. Uh, that's how I tracked my usage across my devices Got it. and rescue time too on my, on the desktop. So I could see where my time was going in browsers rescue time okay is that free they have a trial 14 it used to be free but now there's a 14 day trial but uh arguably you only need 14 days to get an analysis so that so another blurb uh that'll be something i'm talking about is called uh, a demand analysis it's something that i took from a book called making work visible and overlaying that into digital minimalism so you get basically here's my one two three step of how i would get a demand analysis of your attention so like, where's your time going on your smartphone, your laptop, your web browser, see who the big culprits are and then work to minimize them. And I think John, you invested in a time flip, right? Yeah. Yeah. I forgot exactly who recommended that. Don Jones. It was Don Jones. Yeah. I was like, it sounds like Don. It sounds like Don. It's this like a uh, 12 sided die looking thing. And then you self-define like what everything, you know, each facet is. So as you go from one thing to another, you flip it and then it tracks the amount of time. So right now I am on podcasting task, you know, but I'm, I use a lot of LinkedIn. So I have one for that and then, you know, work chats or, um, studying for work or taking breaks or, you know, a bunch of other things, writing. I don't see email. a, I don't see an icon for swing dancing on there. Is that, yeah, you yeah. just not put it on or? So that is, in, at least for me and my personal time and a lot of my <laughs> personal time when I'm not doing tracking for that. Um, Got it. But yeah. And also in the pandemic, there's no swing dancing. Mm. Measure what matters, right? Yeah, exactly. One of the other things I wanted to ask about was the, the deep work schedule. I know you're integrating physical activity there. What made you do that? I needed the the balance. So there's this trade-off that I found over the years where you have kind of like three buckets of energy. You have your emotional and you have your mental and you have your physical. Um, and each of those actually feeds the other. So if you expend your physical energy, it'll feed into your mental and your emotional. And if you expend your emotional, you know, it'll rejuvenate. And so I've just found that that is an essential component to maintaining high levels of productivity. Uh, and so it's been waning, but I've been keeping it, you know, on by a thread. So I have, I'm in Nebraska and it gets cold in the winter and my garage is heated, but not insulated. So it's just kind of miserable and that's been a deterrent, but I've been, uh, four days a week, I go into a weightlifting program called five, three, one. It's a 35 to 40 minute program that I do, uh, four times a week to maintain some level of physical fitness. Oh, that's good. Do you have a, and do you do it, you do it in the mornings, evenings? I do it. 
I do it in the mornings. I, for whatever reason, if I don't get it done in the morning, it's just not going to get done. I've experimented with various times of the day. I work from home, so I get the luxury. But, you know, if it's middle of the day and my kids are going to come out in the garage and want to play, <laughs> it just gets distracting. And, you know, then I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Not just because they're there, but, you know, it's also the middle of the day. You get in that 2 p.m. crash. Uh, and then in the evening, you know, I want to help my wife with the kids and not be like, hey, I just got done working a full day. I'm going to go hit the gym in the garage. You can handle them for get pumped up. <laughs> I need to get pumped up. Uh, you can handle them for a couple of hours. It just I didn't feel right doing that. Didn't work. So it's usually in the morning. Do you find yourself solving some of your problems, like that idea of embracing boredom that Cal Newport mentioned? I do. Working out? Yeah. So a lot of times my notebook will come with me in the gym, and I'll write down ideas. But more lately now, it's just like, how do I get out of my head? So that like on the other side, um, like I understand now. I understood before, but I have a more empathetic approach to like why people want to be distracted because it is uncomfortable to be in your head all the time and thinking. And so finding something that kind of turns off your brain um, does that. And sometimes, you know, weightlifting will do that to a degree uh, for me as well. So coupled with, you know, sometimes those will just pop in my head. I can write them down. But a lot of times I try to use that time to just let go um, and be present and enjoy the workout. Yeah, that's good. It's a nice release of anxiety, all kinds of mood boosters, and it reminds me of uh, Spark, the the book I read about exercising your brain. Anyway, that was that was just an observation. That was John White style. <laughs> it, you know, speaking of John White style observations, I was wondering, Josh, if you've ever read uh, "Your Brain at Work" by David Rock. I have not, but it sounds fascinating. Yeah, so he's kind of. It was another one of those books that like like seemed to like complement uh very directly deep work, digital minimalism, and uh taking smart notes is a very um kind of brain chemistry and like how the brain works like approach to attention and uh and how to structure your work day so if you do get around to reading it, I'd be fascinated to hear your uh, response uh, my fear is that you're going to consume it and like write an insightful series of blog posts you know <laughs> before i do but um in fact maybe i shouldn't be fearful of that maybe i should just let you do that and that will relieve me of the pressure of doing so. <laughs> well hopefully you could write them and then you know we can talk about it we can discuss them but i will definitely pick up sure, that, sure. that sounds fascinating yeah, I'll write it, and but my my writing will be you know directly contradicting yours, and then we'll have an online fight about it, and it'll benefit right. both of us. It'll be the first nerd journey flame war. Yes, I I can see it happening there right now. Go. Well, one place where you probably don't have very many flame wars is in the documentation forum at Microsoft. So I want to know how the role at Microsoft has changed in terms of getting a handle on the processes and measurements and metrics. I know you mentioned you were going to, you're taking on a slightly new challenge with Golang mm -hmm. and that sounded pretty cool, but are there other things that you've gotten used to gotten better at that you want to share now that you're close to a year in, as opposed to the four months in before? Um, yeah, I just like the different aspects of it. So there there's obviously the, the writing, the research and getting comfortable with with that process but then there's the um the seo side right you know like how, how are the documents performing and how do you write for the web so those are different elements that all bleed into the same thing and i've been learning a lot about that more about just how do you how do you write clearly so that way that search engines and people can find you and it's it's 
really interesting and a slightly terrifying how good the algorithms are at catching human behavior. So a lot of the algorithms now will search for like uh, like how you scan a page and that's determined, like factored in the SEO. So how searchable a document is. Uh, and they've also got a lot of metrics now that are aggregated up to tell the search engine how useful it was. Like how long did you stay on a page? How often did you stop? For how long did you stop? All that stuff is, is tracked in these pages. Uh, and so learning about that has been really interesting. Um, so I, I took that learning and a, my only real popular PowerShell blog post was about adding credentials to PowerShell. So I went and took my new SEO knowledge and I applied it to my blog and I realized that that blog post has like a 97% bounce rate, um, which is horrible, you know? And so I took a lot of that and I rewrote that blog post to be a little bit more skimmable. I brought it down to, I think, 85 which is still bad, but uh, it was better as an improvement. So I'm, I'm learning to use data to, to be a data-driven writer and to use that to improve the writing. So that's one interesting element um, that I'm learning. The other one is around information architecture and, and UI, or UX rather. So just the user interface, like how navigation is, is presented. Uh, another book, The Paradox of Choice, is often cited in, in UX research, which is just an overwhelming amount of choice. Uh, is paralyzing. And so learning how to use that research to, again, improve the writing from just a, a user experience perspective has probably been the two two biggest insights that I've had beyond just the process of writing. It's just how much you can use data to improve your writing. Is there is there a blog post on that? The uh, data-driven? No, no. Not, so I've got like quite a few notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write it down. You know, every time we talk, Josh, right. I just get more book recommendations and my list keeps getting longer. So I, actually, I had a coworker threaten to stop talking to me because he kept buying books. I mean, my main problem is that I've actually started a Kanban board to track books that I'm reading, but only ones that have been recommended by Josh Duffy. So. It's a big Kanban board, huh? Yeah, yeah. it is. You actually. could add like three or four to it so far. I think we've heard. Uh, maybe more than that no. we'll go back and check the notes try three times that number yeah <laughs> okay so hopefully i'll get better at publishing my notes so that way you at least have a reference to go to and like here's at least the spark notes version from josh's notes so i can vet it a little bit better <laughs> now what's hilarious about that suggestion is that i think cal newport like has like a buddy that he like um collaborates with every once in a while and and interviews on his podcast and i think that guy's career or like maybe a big source of his income is doing exactly that is like reading like really amazing books and then doing kind of a spark notes version and and then selling a subscription to that and i'm like oh i really hate to buy something like that but but maybe i should <laughs> then you can take notes on the cliff notes is that what you're saying no no like the whole goal would be to like r read them and then figure out which books are worth reading Oh, that's fair. Yeah. 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 They have this thing called Audible Samples, so I just thought I would it'll work for Audible. <laughs> that's what's really uh was really useful and I'll bring this one up again, the how to read a book, the X raying a book. Do you remember John, I think it seems like you've read that book. Yep. But that was super yep. interesting. But it really it it brings to light how far technology still needs to go as far as like consuming information from that type of uh literature. You know, like there's just a, a feel for the information in a book that you can't get from a Kindle or a web page 
like you just need to like flip through and read a couple sections as much as skimming is useful. Like there's just something to that, to the book and X-raying it in that way that gives you a better feel of the material. It's, it's hard to get that same well, level from. I will point out that uh, a very underutilized resource, which is Google books does actually give you like previews and, uh, and forces you to not read something from start to finish. Like it'll give you like four pages here, three pages here, seven pages here. Very interesting. I, uh, it, I, I found that useful. A Kindle actually has say, gave me X-ray vision. Sorry. <laughs> a Kindle actually has an X-ray feature in it now. I don't know if people are familiar with that, but you can download right. a sample and then you can, if the book supports it, will allow you to X-ray and it'll take the most highlighted passages and stuff like that. It'll give you a pretty good gist. That's of cool. what it is. That is cool. Most highlighted passages. Wow. Wow. There's some data for you. Yeah. All right. I feel like we've done like solid work here. Yeah. In this, uh, in this discussion, maybe we should like think about wrapping up. I, you know, Josh, you know, really appreciate you spending the time and thinking of us, uh, to come on and, and talk about your new book. I, I just wanted to like, maybe before we wrap, ask this question, like, um, am I wrong in thinking that there was like a digital course that you wrote to like go along with the book? Uh, there, there is and was, uh, so it's on YouTube now for free. So the reason being, um, oh, okay. I just, I didn't hit the level of craftsmanship that I wanted having done plural site courses. Um, so I ended up, I released it. I refunded the money of the people that bought it. Surprisingly, the book outsold the course like four to one. Uh, so I didn't have to refund mm-hmm. a ton of money. Uh, but I decided to move that content, the video course to YouTube. So that's in a playlist and I can send it to you guys so you can send the show notes if you want. So that's all available for free. So if you don't want to get the book, you're not sold on that. You can watch the entire, I think it's about 90 minutes of video where I walk through the entire book step by step and show you how to do it. And then if you want, if you would still like the copy uh, or to support the work, you can definitely grab a copy of the how to take smart notes subsidian ebook. That's amazing. Great. I'm going to go watch that. Cause I, I was planning on buying it and then it disappeared off of the, the page. And I was like, what happened? Yeah. It's not that it's bad. It's just, I've done plural site courses in the past and with editing and all that stuff, I would, I would have felt better if I had put a little bit more into it. Um, I still think that they're really good quality and that's why I just moved them over to YouTube. So, uh, and then also to awesome. expand it up, the obsidian community has a great history of open source projects and stuff like that. So it's a, a good way to contribute back to the community that helped me when I first started learning. It's probably also a good place to mention that uh, Josh has kindly offered to give away a couple of licenses to the book, How to Write Smart Notes with Obsidian. So maybe we'll take uh, the first, uh, not the first, but like a, a random sampling of people who uh, retweet the announcement of the first episode maybe and uh we'll pick uh, some people at random who actually fully retweet it and then uh and give them uh give them licenses copies of the book super excited uh to hear back from those readers by now, the how way. many times do i that, need that to retweet this you, to get a free copy john i'm just trying to pay attention that's right yeah absolutely. i'll send you one um but but remember no, you know kidding. employees of nerd journey can cannot win. Oh, that's in the fine man. fine text that stinks okay well it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I I found it, you know, fascinating uh, to the point where I was not using Obsidian to do my personal um, Zettelkasten, you know, smart notes uh, 
repository and I downloaded Obsidian, ran through the the uh, the process and started using it. So that's how compelling I found it. That's it's awesome. Converted, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much, Josh, for being on again and and sharing your wisdom with us. I'm sure there's uh, there's more good things that you're going to produce that we'll be following and updating our listeners on. Well, I hope so. But thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be able to to speak on the nerd journey. So thanks for having me back. I'm I'm honored to be number two of number two in the Hall of Fame with return guests. So maybe I'll be the first third. Who knows? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right, Josh. Thanks so much and good night. Good night. someone who's in your head all the time I know that's happened to me it's hard to get out actually I liked what Josh said about the need to be present during his workouts and just focus on what he was doing right then as a way to keep your mind from spinning out of control and it reduces anxiety it really lines up with that concept of meditation and mindfulness focusing on your breathing focusing on what you're doing so that you can keep the brain from going nuts on you. It's that process of, or that idea of staying in the present instead of telling stories about the past or worrying about the future. Oh, yeah. Love that. And you know I love the idea of integrating physical activity and hope that everybody will do something in about that because even if it's light walking, you'd be surprised the, the type of ideas you can get going for a walk and how just the fresh air can can make you feel better and less stressed yeah and the idea of really you know when you're doing physical activity like physical activity it's really difficult to do anything but be in that present you know like you're you're already using part of your brain function to do something other than just sit and stew right you have to you're feeling sensations you're you're doing that movement. It's it's straight out of Cal Newport again. We just cannot get away from deep work, Nick. No. Every episode from now on is going to be a deep work episode. It'll be like that Easter egg people have to find. Like, how's John going to relate this to deep work? <laughs> yeah, it's me. I'm the one who's doing it. It's not that it just comes up that's, all the time. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> it's John that did it this time. How about that? <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I really think that smart notes and that methodology can make everybody a better writer and a better communicator. The challenge of the blank page, not all of us are going to write books. Not all of us are going to write blogs. But we're all going to write emails. We're all going to have to write arguments to justify our position on something or at least communicate them in a logical way. And I think this goes hand in hand very well with what Scott Lowe was talking about in episode 152 and the importance of communication. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. What stood out to you, John? Um, I was fascinated to hear about how the detour into smart notes, like changed how Josh viewed like the first chunk of writing that he did, which was like almost 200 pages. Like I think he said they weren't really that coherent in retrospect. 
And that's rough. It's rough to invest that much time and effort into something and then go through a process that makes you view that investment, you know, like a little bit negatively. But I'm still looking forward to the end product and, and hopefully this uh, methodology that he's that he's using now will uh, really accelerate the process or, you know, even just increase the quality of the end product. By the way, Reclaim is available for pre-order for anybody that's interested. We can include that link in the show notes. Ah, terrific. I'll jump on that as well myself. Um, I was also, you know, fascinated by Josh's kind of quick discussion at the end about data-driven writing, I think we called it, or, you know, he called it, you know, search engine optimized, like that that process of of using that search engine optimization feedback. Like I'm, I'm really wondering how other people react to that idea. I know that, you know, it's just even like I, I know this isn't what Josh was talking about, but you know, I think people have probably had that reaction where you are writing in WordPress or or some blogging engine, and it has like an SEO module that says, hey, you should, you know, fig, you know, mention the 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 title of the blog post like more in the first like paragraph of what you're writing or just you know you you titled your blog post this and it should appear you know 15 times throughout the rest of the text or you know so, put a whatever in the title yeah <laughs> five reasons why <laughs> all those things and um, it's fascinating I think to hear somebody else reacting to those things and i think he's doing like a much more sophisticated version of that um so maybe it would be interesting to have him dive in a little bit deeper but anyway that was something that i found interesting and uh i'm wondering how other people reacted to that how about you nick anything else before we get out of here i don't think so i think it was a good follow-up appreciate josh coming back on the show I'm sure if you follow him, he's going to be producing more great work. He's a great guy to follow out there in the community. Definitely. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder, often in two-part series. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues, probably in two parts. I'm John White at B Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore signing off.